everyone. Welcome back to the Art House Drive-In Podcast. Uh, thanks for pulling up. Thanks for thanks for pulling up. My name's Robert, and as always, I'm here with my, my trusty co-host, T. That's me. And today we have a very special episode for you all. Uh, we have um, procured a limited edition preview copy of a film that's very dear to my heart and one of my favorite animated films, Son of the White Mare, from director Marcel Yankovic. Um, it's being released uh, for the first time in the United States, which is very exciting, by um, in a f- new 4K restoration Ooh. done in collaboration with um, Arbolos Films and the Hungarian Film Archive. So that's that's very exciting, and we're, we're excited to sort of get into this film and talk about it. We always wanted to talk about this film, uh, but now the release coming up uh, on June 8th has sort of made it um, very timely. So... Yeah. And and before we get into everything, what I want to hear is T. What was your first reaction to seeing Son of the White Mare? So I didn't know too much about this film going into it. I heard a little bit about it from you as we were kind of getting ready for this. But my first reaction, and actually my very first note while watching it, was this either looks like the start of a great trip or a terrible trip. <laughs> uh, it was very colorful. I felt like it should have had a uh, a photosensitive viewer warning at the mm-hmm. at the top of the, at the top of the film yeah. Yeah. um but it was it was really cool i i tend to enjoy uh really anything about myth, uh, mythology i like learning about different cultures um so this this was a cool way to get introduced to a little hungarian hungarian culture yeah i'm i'm i was really pleased when i learned that you loved this film because um, I think it, it combines a lot of both of our interests. I mean, I think we both like animation. We both like mythology. And this is based on sort of Hungarian folk tales and mythology. Um, mm-hmm. And it has very an epic feel to it. So I was very excited very to share much. this with you. And um, before we get into sort of the Blu-rays features, too, just to, to intro Arbolos a little bit, um, Arbolos Films is a Los Angeles-based film distribution and restoration label. Um, and there, and I actually interviewed the co-founder David Marriott for Split Tooth Media as well for the the 4K Blu-ray release. So go check that out on Split Tooth. Um, but their mission is to release and restore sort of canon expanding art house cinema. So they worked on Saint Tango and uh, from Bellatar, Mutual Appreciation from Andrew Pajowski, Belladonna of Sadness, which is a, another animated film. Um, and and many many more. So now, when you say when you say canon expanding, uh, the only canon canons I am familiar with are uh, the big iron things that shoot balls, <laughs> um, and just like st- canon like oh uh, did you see that that uh, comic that was just released? Apparently, it's canon. So mm-hmm. what do you exactly mean by that? Yeah, so for for canon, I mean C A N O N, which is sort of a it's sort of a list of films that people say, "Oh, these are the essential blank films that you should watch." Like these are the essential French films that you should watch. These are the essential American films from the, you know, early 20th century that you should watch. So right. there are many canons that sort of exist. And oh, for all of those, okay. one gotcha. of the canon that exists for Son of the White Mare that we're where it um, sort of fits in is the canon of sort of like animated masterpieces. So that's where I see Son of the White Mare. It's one of the most impressive animated films that I've ever seen. And in the canon of animation, it's not mentioned as much um, as I, I think it should be. So 
Is Thief and the Cobbler included in uh, that uh, canon of uh, dope animated films? A little bit, yeah. That's that's another film that sort of came up into the canon um, as it, you know, got more appreciation from, like, the recobbled cut and things like that. Go back to our episode about the Thief and the Cobbler recobbled cut. All the way um, back on episode one, two. two. Yeah, and episode two. So, so now we're going to dive into the actual Blu-ray and the features in the Blu-ray. Um, so, yes, there's so many to cover. So many to cover. So there's there's films there's other films in the Blu-ray other than Son of the White Mare. There's um Janusz Vitez, which uh, is also mostly translated as Johnny Corncob, hmm. which came in uh, out in 1973. It was the first feature film from uh, Marcel Yankovic, and it's very impressive for a first feature. You watch it and you think that like oh this is like a seasoned director. It's, this man's like, been directing mature. for years. It looks like he's been directing for years. It's incredible. And then you have some short films as well. You have Sisyphus in 1974, which is sort of uh, a, a film that was in reaction to making Janusz Vitez. It's sort of it's based obviously on the the mythological story of Sisyphus pushing the boulder, being cursed to push a boulder up a mountain so, for, the, for the rest of his life. And, so is he then comparing the process of making Johnny Corncob to pushing a boulder up a hill forever? Yeah. Yeah, interesting because it was yeah because it was such a huge undertaking and when you watch the film too it's very apparent because the animation is so sort of impressive and detailed so i think he he is sort of comparing those <laughs> those as as like sort of a herculean struggle of of sorts that's kind of yeah. a ballsy move having your second movie ever question mark was it a second movie ever he'd he'd worked on other other things before that but the, these are the first like this is his early work this gotcha. is like a survey of his early work yeah i just think it's a really cool move to make yeah. a film and they're like hmm what to do next i don't know a film about making that film yeah yeah it's a great you know you really get a sense of self-expression from sisyphus which is great um mm. and you also get that from uh the struggle which came out in 1977 um which actually won the palme d'or at uh the con uh, film festival so um and it has a really interesting premise too it's actually so you first see a sculptor uh chiseling a statue out of a block of stone and as the sculptor uh chisels on that stone and makes the statue the statue will actually chisel uh the artist and the the artist gets older and older and older as the statue becomes more and more fully realized it's a really interesting sort of metaphor and exploration of of like a, a lifelong artistic process mm-hmm. um yes. which is really it, uh, interesting it truly begets the question which came first the artist or the sculpture it's true yeah it's a deep deep conversation to have <laughs> and, and the next film that's included on the blu-ray as well it's called Dreams on Wings. It's actually an Air India commercial, which is hilarious. It's one of the first I... things that he really got to lead on at Pannonia Studios as an animator in 1968. It's a really interesting, it, for a commercial especially, it's a really interesting piece of animation where it has all of the, the sort of um, stylistic markers of sort of like transformation, a really brilliant color palette that you'll see in a lot of, you know, of his features and things like that. So it's um, something that maybe like you'd expect to see in... In a Super Bowl commercial, something oh, so something kind of silly, or what are we talking about here? It's it's it has it sort of strikes the tone of being very playful and being very you know like serious in the technique of animation. Like the technique is so precise that it's hard to take it as just like a playful romp, hmm, but okay. it is you know sort of lighthearted and 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 a light viewing, which is great. Lovely, lovely. Yeah, 
And and other things on the Blu-ray as well. You have an interview with Marcel Yankovic, which I actually learned a lot about. Um, it's titled Brighter Colors. So um, um, I learned a lot about his work from seeing the interview. And it, it's it's really great because it sort of takes you on a tour of his mindset as he was making Janusz Vitez and Sisyphus, The Struggle, Son of the White Mare, etc. So it's a really it's a really great addition to the Blu-ray. And I would definitely um, I would encourage people to, to check out the interview, especially. Um, and the other features that come with the Blu-ray as well is um, there's a, there's sort of like a fun little three-minute archival footage newsreel from 1973 of making Janusz Vitez. It's sort of it's just like a sort of a playful uh, oh let's tour around the studio kind of kind of newsreel. It even sounds like that like you know like T does uh, an old Carnival Barker voice a lot of the times and it's definitely oh in I, that, I don't know what you're talking about. I've, I've it's definitely in that. that spirit and um and along with sort of the the films that you get in the interviews and the videos you actually get two new essays by Charles Solomon and Eleanor Cowan as well and they're really great essays about sort of the context surrounding Son of the White Mare historically, artistically. They go through the different sort of um, the artistic uh, inspirations for like the art style. They also explain the historical context around Son of the White Mare and, and sort of animation in Eastern Europe and, 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 you know, in Soviet era Eastern Europe as well. It's really interesting. Before we really dive into the analysis uh, we wanted to sort of take the time to also recognize that Marcel Yankovic actually passed away very recently he passed away on mm -hmm. May 29th which is now almost a couple weeks ago um, and this blu-ray release is really a great time to appreciate him as sort of a master animator like when you saw this film T um, and you saw the animation um, did it come off that like oh this is sort of like a master's work um, I mean, yes, I think the reason why I think that is because it did remind me of just ha the feelings I, I, I kind of felt when I watched Thief and the Cobbler for the first time. Yeah. Um, not about the story, because that if I was thinking about the story of the Thief and the Cobbler, it would have bothered me. But no, you could tell yeah. that this, this was a man who had definitely perfected his art. Um, yeah. a, like a big thing in his in the animations I noticed was just how smoothly it all meshed together and transitioned yeah. from scene to scene. And it it looked like something that you would see today. Yeah. Oh, something interesting that I learned from talking to David Marriott of of Arbolus Films as well is that they wanted to make this Blu-ray as sort of a survey of Marcel Yankovic's early career. So that's what you sort of get. You not only get this amazing restoration of Son of the White Mare you get a survey of, you know, a rarely impressive sort of iconic artist mm -hmm. in the early to, to mid stages of their career. So, so like a before so, and an after video. Yeah, a little bit. Or a before and then mid sort of snapshot. Oh. Um, and, and Son of the White Mare is sort of his crowning achievement as well. And, and, and now we're actually going to go, let's dive into Son of the White Mare because I'm so excited to speak about this. I've so, been Son waiting to Mare. talk about this for ages. For ages. And Son ages. of the White Mare... It's a feature-length animated film based on sort of narrative poetry under the same title as um, Laszlo Arani um, and, and also Hungarian folk tales and mythology. Um, it was Marcel Yankovic's second feature, um, and domestically it wasn't as successful as Janusz Vitez, his, his first feature, um, mm. but it still did pretty well. Like, well, you know, the, se the sequel never does quite as well as the original. That's, that's a known fact. I think that was a little bit part of it um, as well, and... and 
you know, because it wasn't as successful domestically, it also didn't have this sort of wide reach globally. Like, um, Janusz Vitez at one point even got bought by Hanna-Barbera. Like, I don't think it had a really? wide release like that. Mm. But um, Hanna-Barbera was interested in Janusz Vitez, whereas Son of the White Mare, obviously, was never really released in the United States. No. Um, but now that's why this restoration is so great, is that it's sort of broadening the accessibility of Son of the White Mare. Um, and if you would, T, would you sort of take us through the the narratives of Son of the White Mare so people that, you know, haven't seen it before can sort of get a taste? Of oh, yeah. You know, I, I think I could do that. Um, <laughs> you know, this is actually a lovely change of pace for me. Uh, towards the end of season one, a lot of the synopses I, would, I was doing uh, didn't make any sense because there was no plot to summarize. But here... Here, I've got a good old-fashioned plot, baby. I've got a narrative. I've got a beginning, a middle, and an end. Uh, so let's just dive right in. Son of the White Mare. As you might have been able to guess from the title, this story is about the son of a white mare. More specifically, uh, the white mare being a goddess who was uh, married to some sort of king deity. Uh, you know... Guy had three sons, and they all lived together in paradise, but the three sons, you know, they, they wanted companions. It's understandable. They, so the king is like, yeah, have some wives. Um, and, you know, everyone's happy for a period of time, but eventually, you know, shit hits the fan, and a bunch of dragons, 77 dragons and three more, are released from hell uh, and kill a bunch of people except for the princesses, and the goddess who escapes by turning into this white mare. Uh, she eventually has uh, a son whose name is Tree Shaker. Uh, and after nursing him to be big and strong, strong enough to pull out trees by their roots and wave them around like a baton, um, he goes off to venture into hell to rescue the wives of the princes from before. But, you know, he can't do this alone. He's got he's to have... Gotta have a crew. Um, so he enlists the help of his brothers, Stone Crumbler and Iron Temperer. And together, they journey down into hell. Oops, did I say together? I meant only Tree Shaker. They got them all together only for just him to go down there. Uh, after cutting the beard of a gnome off to make a sword. Uh, you know, these things happen. Um, so, goes down to hell... He kills a bunch of dragons that represent different aspects of industrialization. Uh, he rescues the princesses. He gets married to one and gets out of there on the back of a griffin. It's a classic, classic tale, oldest time. Um, and, you know, despite, uh, dis despite some aspects of the story not making a ton of sense, it was still fun to watch. It was easy to follow. Um, it's a good time all around. Get some popcorn. Yeah. yeah. Now we're just going to dive into the film. There's so much to talk about with Son of the White Mare that um, a lot of this episode is going to be just us um, gushing about how um, how complex and how interesting this film is. And we're going to start with maybe the most uh, the most readily apparent thing of the film, if you look at it, is it it might be the most not just the most colorful film that I've ever seen. It might just be the co most colorful thing. I've ever seen in my life the color palette of this film is just you know blinding in its vibrancy like how what did you think about the color design when you first saw it 
I mean, like I said, include a seizure warning at the top of the uh, <laughs> a little bit at yeah. the top of the film. No, they um, they I would say used every color of the rainbow and then probably every color of the wind. Trademark, sorry, Disney. Um, yeah. No, it was it was pretty wild. You could tell that at at some points they were just having fun with it. Like you yeah. had the color schemes of the main characters and uh, and the environment. But they're like, what if we just made that river like purple yeah yeah the color design is 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 so meticulous and everything there's so much variety as well and and one of my favorite parts about how they sort of um utilize color in the film is that a lot of the designs don't really have defined outlines and because of that they they don't and because of that the color seems to be sort of seeping off of them and it becomes even more vibrant like marcel yankovich actually said this um, in the interview that's on the Blu-ray, that in Janos Vitez, he did this as well, is that um, if the colors don't have outlines, everything looks like it sort of melds together easily, um, mm-hmm. and everything sort of blends together in one really interesting sort of portrait. Um, right. It makes it feel more streamlined, a little more flowy, but it's yeah. not like you're looking at somebody and be like, well, I can't tell where that character begins and where that one nah. ends. It's like a... It doesn't look muddy, nah. right? Like, that's that's a really important thing to, to bring up, too, because I think if you think about, oh, all of these character designs don't have outlines, um, the color design is so vibrant, isn't it just going to look like a roiling, you know, pool of color and it's not going to look, you know, it's not going to pop as much because I think that's the problem with some sort of vibrant color mm-hmm. designs or psychedelic films, quote unquote. And that's not an issue in this at all because I think the color design is so balanced, right? You know? Yeah. Or at the very least, they, the way that they utilize colors for different characters and different set design choices they pick either contrasting colors or or color schemes that won't get in the way of each other. Right. It yeah. never feels an, overcrowded. And that's an important point as well, is that a lot of the characters are actually demarcated by color. So Tree Shaker is, is sort of a yellow figure. Mm-hmm. Um, Iron Temperer is like blue and yellow. And then Stone, Stone Crumbler is sort of red. Um, and has like pink sort of highlights on him. Mm-hmm. And um, not that you sort of need the colors to be to differentiate the characters but it's interesting that that in the pastiche of the film like you can see those figures walking and you know who it is because of color that's how important Mm -hmm. color is in this film it sort of delivers almost like the narrative qualities of it too and and that extends to the princesses that extends to the dragons even to to, you know where they are in the world i mean yeah the the color palette of the world above hell Mm -hmm. which i guess not paradise anymore but yeah. Um, it's supposed to be this kind of dystopian, like, you know, Pell broke loose and kind of ruined everything. So it's kind of like a lot of blues and grays and browns. Um, I mean, not, not all. It's not like the bleakest thing I've ever seen. But once you get yeah. down into hell, everything just gets dark and spooky yeah. and yeah. intense. Yeah, I agree. And and you can even see it... Um about sort of revitalizing the landscape, I think of a moment uh, where Stone Crumbler um, takes takes their hands and sort of claws at um, a big field, and mm-hmm. the the stone of it, you know, crumbles away. Not to make a pun, and then <laughs> and soil gets replaced in in there, and then wheat grows on it, and you know, it's even that sort of transition of color is so beautiful. It's like this brown, uh, sort of this gray, like mottled gray, like you're talking about stone. Then it's this rich brown, and then there's this vibrant yellow. 
Um, and that's such a small moment too. Like, like how did you feel about a film where things are often happening so quickly? Like th- there's transitions are happening in seconds, you know? Well, the way I kind of felt about it was instead of using narrative to tell the story, they were using color to tell the story. Yeah. Which, I mean, I think that's kind of cool. It's not something I see very often at all. You know, it's different, and I, I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah, and, and something that connects with the color, too, is um, this sort of vein of transformation in the film. And, and that's sort of, it's relevant on a, a number of different levels. On the, on the one level, Marcel Yankovic said in, in, in the interview for Brighter Colors that um, he often didn't want character designs to be so rigid. Like, it was often interesting to him if things look different throughout the film and and it gives him sort of a creative freedom to not be so rigid in how he you know draws these characters and how he renders these characters and that sort of it creates this feeling where the landscape is sort of ever-changing and these characters are often ever-changing and adds a visual variety to me that's very fresh you know yeah i mean you can correct me if i'm if i'm wrong or if i'm just completely making stuff up here um but i'm pretty sure that like I, I noticed this a little bit, but I didn't really make note. Uh, when the characters are walking, their style mm-hmm. of walking, one, it changes a bunch, but it's kind of like yeah. very long and drawn out, and like the angles that it's it's showing them at is usually like down and up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like even as they're walking from place to place, it's like they're changing mm-hmm. form. Yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree with that, and I think um, with the the camera angles going down from up to um. Marcel Yankovic said something about Anish Vitez where he wanted the character to have big feet and a small head. Um, and it sort of, it has this sort of surreal quality to the designs in the film, but it's definitely in Son of the White Mare as well, where these characters um, are shot in a way that looks, makes them look sort of surreal or otherworldly and ever transform and ever transforming, like you're saying with them walking and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this sort of extends to scale, like scale will change in a big way where, um, for instance, the camera will be looking at a mountain and it will then uh, zoom back and you realize it's like this gigantic person uh, <laughs> laying on their back and the mountains are actually their knees. Mm-hmm. Like, how did, you, how did you think about all of these sort of perspective shifting moments where scale gets larger and smaller? No, I thought, I thought it was done very well. Specifically, the scene that comes to mind for me is when tree shaker is fighting the third and final dragon because i mean that one was literally a city i didn't really go over this too much in my synopsis but the dragons were as followed one is kind of this like big old three-headed dragon uh kind of looks like the like stone titan that vomits lava uh, from hercules uh second dragon was a seven-headed dragon that looked like a strange amalgamation of a bunch of tanks um, and then the last dragon had 12 heads and it was like a bunch of skyscrapers. So when they were, sh- when I was watching the scene with that dragon, uh, comparing tree shaker to it, who was like up, like barely up to its knees or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think they did a really good job of using scale to just kind of show like, Oh wow, he's, he's really boned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and what goes along with this sort of transformation of scale is how everything in the film sort of revolves around circles. Um, yes. And Marcel Yankovic is very sort of clear about that because, I mean, and there are some moments where the characters are literally revolving in a circle. 
like their faces will be revolving or the snake that um tries to kill the mythical griffin the film will be revolving in sort of this um uh what's ouroboros like yeah this like sort of ouroboros ouroboros pattern that almost feels like um, an optical illusion. Like, you mm-hmm. know, when you, you see those pinwheels that spin and it looks like you're going into a tunnel, sort of. Yeah, and they do that a bunch throughout the uh, throughout the film when all, all the brothers are getting together and they kind of, like, huddle up in a in a pregame circle. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good to meet you. And then, again, when they're even just, like, a mean, meaningless question mark scene where they're just eating porridge and passing a spoon around in a circle. Yeah. Um, it's very smooth. The camera, camera, um, the the shot keeps kind of like going through each brother in a circle and showing showing everything moving around and melting together, uh, yeah. very hypnotically. Yeah, and and that sort of goes with the the narrative too, because it's a it's a narrative that um, goes through sort of like the cycle of um, prosperity to destruction to revitalization and it's supposed to be framed as a circle like these things happen um cyclically over eternity in this so those dragons will be let loose again maybe oh my god and and when you were talking about the, the brothers uh sitting around and doing a little powwow i thought of one of my favorite moments which is um when they're first sort of binding their pack together their little coalition Mm -hmm. um Iron Temper has this sort of iron club and they stick it in the center of them and each of their hands sort of lightly brushes the 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 club and a little bit of color fills in on each side it's I think it's a triangle and um, as they fill the color in and outline the the club with their hands it's so satisfying to to watch it's one of those interesting uh... moments and it's another sort of this cycle of creation that's sort of happening based on sort of I want to say almost like sacred geometry almost because there's a lot of different like um, motifs and patterns with shapes in this film yeah you could tell he he really liked his geometry Uh, specifically when I was watching that scene though I kind of took it as they were like cutting their hands on it, like make forging a blood bond as brothers. Yeah. Like, like we're gonna do this. We're gonna go to hell and we're gonna do this thing. Yeah, yeah. And and something that um I really want to talk about as well because I didn't I didn't think about this as much in my first viewing, and it's almost all that I could think about on the second viewing is I just love the voice acting. Uh, I think the voice acting is just superb in this film. So the the voice of the White Mare is incredible. She puts in such an amazing performance with that. Her voice is always sort of sort of filled with this emotion, different scenes. Like when she's telling a story to Tree Shaker as a baby, um, she goes between this feeling of sort of like playfulness and mirth mm-hmm. to like really grave, serious storytelling, like very sad. Like her her voice always has this sort of weight to it, you know. Yeah, yeah. One thing I definitely appreciate about the voice acting in this is, I mean, one, it doesn't fall flat in any part. Yeah. I I think one problem with animation, uh, with voice acting in animation that I've I've found, and hey, I I enjoyed Thief and the Cobbler, but I noticed some parts where I kind of felt this way about it. It sometimes comes off like they are just reading a script. Like yeah, if the emotion isn't conveyed well, they they portrayed a lot of different emotions in this one like it wasn't all sad or angsty or playful like 
they had scenes where where they were making fun of each other and they had scenes where they were making making serious plans about how to go to hell and they had scenes where the where tree shaker was seriously uh seriously angry at the dragons and mm-hmm. it all came across as authentic and genuine mm-hmm. and the characters voices themselves are so different like the white mare is performed so differently obviously than like um the the king whose voice is like ethereal it sounds like wind and his his character design sort of expands and contracts as he um Mm -hmm. sort of speaks each word and then you hit the the dragons which have this sort of guttural um style of voice acting yeah then you get tree shaker sounds sort of noble and heroic and then his brothers sound completely different iron Mm -hmm. temper sounds curt and short and um like brash and stone crumbler like kind of comes off uh, as a comic relief yeah he's like you know sort of the comic relief of it like the voice acting is so well-rounded in this film and and varied and something that connects to the voice acting too is um the ethereal quality of the voice acting is supposed to be very dreamlike and this film was often uh spoken about as one of like the classics of psychedelic quote-unquote animation and for marcel yankovic he said oh yeah like it is a very psychedelic film but for him it's really based on dreams and the the psychedelic qualities of the film that he ingrained into it is actually connected more to you know you know walking around in a lucid dream or something like that. Um, so how did you feel about uh, did did that was that sort of apparent to you when you were watching it? Um, so I don't keep a dream journal, and I have a real problem remembering my dreams. Um, Me too. But I do fully understand the psychedelic part. It kind of felt like while I was watching it, uh, they they never stayed really set in any one scene for too long. It was always moving and moving and moving. Um, it it didn't get stuck down like that, um, mm-hmm. which which uh, which felt kind of like a psychedelic dream, just like something that's hard to place and and something that um that hammers down the psychedelic quality as well is the is the musical score which has so much energy to it and has so much variety. Like, what did you think about the the score of the film? I think it worked perfectly. Uh, well, one, yeah, with that psychedelic uh, theme. Um, I noticed it a lot in the intro. Uh, the intro to it was this, like, crazy, like, high-energy, intense techno, uh, techno rave kind of, kind of sound. Yeah. Um, but for me... Personally, uh, as I was watching it, the soundtrack kind of like fell by the wayside. I was one hundred percent totally engrossed in just in just watching it, and I think to me that is the mark of a good soundtrack one that doesn't take you out of the movie, but instead pulls you deeper. Yeah, I yeah I agree. I think that is the mark of of a great soundtrack, and I think that's the mark of this score, especially the score just. It's like um like a tractor beam. It just like it just Boom. just drags your eyes into the scene and sort of enhances all of the movement. Like I th- I think about um when they're making the sword for the first time and sort of um Iron Temper is smashing the uh, sort of lightning bolt with his hammer. You mean and the gnome beard? Not just the not just the score, but the sound design too makes it so intense. The like explosion of sound mm-hmm. as the hammer crashes into the sword every time is so intense and, and sort of visceral. It's a great moment, you know. Yeah, and of course, you know, every time every time he 
he uh, attempts to make it, you gotta just chuck that bad boy up into the air. And yeah. I thought it was gonna be like, oh, they chuck it up into the air, and then, like, immediately comes back down. Each time he did it, it took longer and longer, and I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. And then the last time, like, it literally cut to a different scene before the sword came back down. I, yeah. I really, I appreciate that. Yeah, and what he's talking about, too, is when Tree Shaker would get the sword, he'd be like, I want to test this thing out. So he just threw it into the atmosphere, <laughs> and when it was coming down, it would hit something and get bent, and then the third, and they would remake it, and then the third time it would be stronger. And this sort of connects really well to what I wanted to talk about. Son of the White Mare is such a great film to introduce people to a different kind of animation because it has this very followable, exciting story. But the animation is so radical mm-hmm. and incredible and different than than conventional animation. So yeah. it's it, to me, it's this film that is a great transition film to get to you know people to watch you know more left of center stuff. You know, I think if anything, like like I said, don't get me wrong, really enjoyed Thief and the Cobbler. But I yeah. think if I wanted to get people into kind of a little more uh, art house animation, this would be the one that I would start them with. I agree. Yeah, I, I agree totally. And um, the other thing, one of the strongest themes in this film is of industrialization, the destruction of paradise, and then the revitalization and sort of maybe mm-hmm. not necessarily going back to nature, but um, going back to you know going back to paradise and going away from tanks and cities and the, the primal just get away from tanks the but... dragons like what did you think about um these themes in the film so i was immediately reminded of films from studio ghibli like princess mononoke nausicaa and the valley of the wind um the kind of films that show the harmful effects of excessive industrialization and while well, this film didn't take time to talk about it. The elements were clear. Um, yeah. And, yeah. you know, like, I mean, environmentalism is great. I'm all about it. I, we like to sort of bring up one sort of philosophical idea about viewing in this podcast, because a lot of this podcast is about introducing people to a new type of film, if you're not that familiar with art house film, and sort of, you know, some of the ideas that come along with a lot of this work. So that's sort of what we wanted to talk about about *Son of the White Mare*. We've been ranting about this for 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 quite a long for quite a long time, and um, I mean, see. we've been ra- oh. sure sure we've been, we've been ranting about it, but at the same time, I mean, hopefully, a little bit of our ranting has uh, convinced you that look, maybe this is something worth checking out. Uh, so I yeah. would highly recommend that you take a look over on either. Arbelo's Films Vimeo channel where you can rent it for only 10 bucks. So, I mean, for me, that's the price of a Dunkin' breakfast because I like donuts. I get more than one always. Or, I mean, if you really want to support them, and I mean, we both highly suggest it, recommend that you do, uh, check out that Blu ray. You get The Son of the White Mare, you get all the other films, you get to see uh, an Air India commercial, which uh, I haven't seen yet, but I think that's next on my list. Uh, you know. Uh, supporting a business for a good cause and also sort of supporting Marcel Yankovic's legacy as well I think that's what um, we would love for you to get out of this episode is just how incredible of an artist and animator Marcel Yankovic is and hopefully some of the white mare can be your introduction to a true you know master of of animation not just of Hungarian animation but of world animation 
uh, in for general. Sure. So, so thanks for thanks for hanging out with us, and thanks for listening to us speak mm-hmm. about such a wonderful film. This is this is a film I've been wanting to talk about for a long time, so I'm really glad we were able to sort of get our hands on the Blu-ray and see it and sort of speak about it at length. So, for sure, for sure, I've I've, I've been hearing you talk about it for a little bit now, and so it. It was kind of, I was able to understand why you liked it so much. Um, you know, hopefully other people will too. Yep, seeing is believing. You got to watch these films. So if you if you are excited about uh, us speaking about it, boy howdy, you're going to love watching the film. Because we just don't do it justice. So that's, that's, that's going to be it for us. Thank you for listening. And uh, check us out next time on Our House Drive-In. Episodes coming to you soon. Uh, we have a whole new batch that we're working on and, uh, f- you know, follow us on Twitter and see all our, you know, articles on split tooth in, in, in pairing with this episode is a two part interview with David Marriott. So go check out both of those on split tooth media. All right. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to a split tooth media presentation. You can find us on Letterboxd as Arthouse Drive-In and on Twitter at Arthouse Inn. That's right, we can't change it. Feel free to join us in our little cars we talk about films each week, give or take. Probably.